0: Oh, this is going to be fun. While they're passing out something, the message is I walk the line, thus Johnny had to start that off. But I wanted to tell a story about Annie's dad and mother. We were with them in Jerusalem um, some years back with Joel Rosenberg, maybe just two, three years. And um, it was super cool. We all met. um, We came from different hotels, kind of met in this driveway, took a caravan down to the old city, walked around the old city, and then we were headed to lunch at a place I'd never been, and we ate lunch, and then we were going to this recording studio that overlooked the city, and um, Ray starts going, I I don't have my wallet. Oh my God, I don't, I don't have my wallet. So we're thinking, oh, my word, how do we go backwards from everything that we had done? And so he's starting to panic, and I don't know why. I started to tell him a story, and I said, you know, I believe in the God of lost things. (laughs) And I said, you know, the woman who lost the piece of gold and prayed and found it, and the prodigal, and God brought him back, and God can find lost things. Let me tell you this story. I said, one day I was in... uh, department store like a Nordstrom's, and I was helping my daughter-in-law pick out uh, accessories for an outfit, and I took off a diamond stud earring from my ear, and I placed it on the counter while that little voice inside of me was going, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, you're going to forget it, and I was trying on these baubles, and um, I get them on my ear, and uh, the day goes on, I come home, it's dinner time, and I go, I left the earring! And I'm going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And so I'm trying to call, but nobody's answering, so it's too late. And this is when your 30-year-old 30 30 son gets a chance to bring back to you everything you've ever given to him. And he goes, Mom, I cannot believe you did that. You're never going to find that. You know, just, you know, oh, great, thank you doom and gloom little cloud. And so I turned to him and I said, my God is a God of lost things. And I give him this, he can find anything and blah, 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 blah. And as I'm doing this, I'm really getting further and further out on the limb, right? Because now as you're doing this, this earring better show up. So I go, Lord, I just pray that you'd find my earring and blah, 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 and it will be safe and da, 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 da. And then I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, like you're now dangling over this. So I called the next morning. She had found the earring, and I got it back. So I'm telling Ray about this when he's got his wallet lost in Jerusalem. So your dad goes, Oh, God of Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of lost things, find my wallet. And then I'm like, oh, no, now it's happening again. What if we don't find the wallet? And I just told him this whole story, and he said this prayer because I inspired him. So I am the whole day just like this, oh, the wallet, the wallet, the wallet. So I'm like, call me. When you get back to your room, just call me. So he calls me, and he goes, no wallet. I guess God doesn't love me. I <laughs> No, this was not the message. Well, they rang his room and they said he had left his wallet in a taxi cab. Who returned it? And it was down at the concierge and he got his wallet back. And so I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. Now, I cannot tell you because of this how many times people call and say, will you pray because I lost? Um, I think the long and short of it is that we should pray. And that God can do anything and his grace is sufficient and so that we should always call out on him. So that was a little side story as you were getting your goody. Um, I walked the line. I'm coming out of Ephesians chapter 5 if you want to turn in your Bibles there. We'll get to grace in the midst of this passage. But let's read a little bit of it. Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be named among you as not fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. Which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things that are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walked circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Three times in this passage we're told to walk, to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom. Did you know that when you try and teach a baby to walk, you guys ever teach a baby to walk, a mother, a grandmother, or have you been taught to walk? So you have a little experience on learning how to walk. Um, One uh, doctor said that it takes the same dynamic skills of an Olympic gymnast for our children to walk. I knew my child was really special. (laughs) They have to have balance, core control, stability, hip stability, leg strength. And finally, they have to have a plan and be able to carry out a sequence of actions. So, learning to walk isn't as easy as it looks. Um, The book of Ephesians patterns the Christian life after that of a child. This first verse in chapter 5 says, Dear children. So I think that Paul has an expectation that as children, we need to learn how to walk. I don't know about you, but as your kid is learning to walk, do you put obstacles in their way? Ha, 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 just kidding. <laughs> Curl up the rug, you know, or you uh, try and push him a little bit, tilt him, stick your leg out. I mean, are you... Th- no, When you're trying to teach your kids to walk, you're being very helpful, right? And God, our heavenly father, wants to give us grace not just to be saved, but grace to walk as his dear children. And so maybe I could steal a line from Johnny Cash, because he's mine, I walk the line. Because I am his child, I want to walk like he walks. As children who are born again, we need to learn to walk the line, the straight path, the narrow road. And I think Johnny Cash would even admit, it's not easy learning to walk. Anybody out there, it's been easy for you to learn how to walk like a Christian Walk as you should walk. It's not an easy thing. Raised as a Christian, Cash never wanted to sing anything but gospel music. His producer, Sam Phillips, suggested that he try a secular song. And when he did, things took off and he had hit after hit. And that's when he fell hard with fame and fortune and females and abuses that almost cost his life if you know his testimony. But I want to say this, falling down is part of learning how to walk. And that's the grace I want to give to you today. If you and your faith have fallen down, it's part of learning how to walk. And as a Christian, I'm going to say to you, we get knocked down, but I get up again, ain't ever gonna keep me down, I get knocked down. But I get up again. It's how you teach your children, right? If they fall down, you know, just stay down, you're never gonna get it. (laughs) Clearly, you're the one child on the planet who cannot learn how to walk. You encourage them to get up again and again. For an infant to learn to walk, it takes a thousand hours of practice. Ladies, don't be discouraged if it's taking a while for you to learn to walk the Christian walk. It takes practice. And in those thousands of hours, there's lots of falling down. It says once a child learns to walk, the average child will take 2,368 steps per hour with over 17 falls. 17 falls per hour. Just getting started. That tells me that when we're learning to walk as Christians, we need to be patient with each other. Allow them to practice, to pick up the steps. And it's okay to fall down, just don't stay down. Don't stay down. Now, this idea of grace... And training your children to walk. I've trained my child, my son, Nathan, to walk. But I also train him to walk in the Lord. And when he was about four years old, his cousin, also named Lenya, my namesake, came to visit. And uh, they're opposites. If he's Batman, she's Catwoman. If he likes dogs, she likes cats. Whatever it is, it's opposite. Do you ever have those kids who are just opposite kids? And they were up in the room playing, and all I know is I heard bang, slam, boom, and screaming. So I went upstairs, and they were fighting over something, and they had their hands on it, and Nathan pushed Lenya off the bed, to which she fell on the Batmobile, and it scratched her back, and so she bit him. (laughs) And I'm like, oh boy, what do I do with this? And my sister was in town, and my sister and Lenya are not saved. I'm like, how can I make this a teaching moment? So I said, you know what, you guys, I want to teach you a couple things about God. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm not slapping them or putting them in time out. I mean, that was just amazing. So I said, you know what, God, when he gives us mercy, it means we're not getting what we deserve. If you speed, you get a ticket, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, so right now you deserve a spanking, but in mercy, I am not going to spank you. You know, toddlers they just can't even be, be believe this is happening and I go and now I want to teach you about grace. And grace is God's unmerited favor. That means we get something we don't deserve. Amen, sister. And so I said, get in the car we're going to Target. You can each pick out a toy. I mean, they're like, is this the craziest mother I've ever met in the world? That when they're being naughty, not only do they not get spanked, they get prizes. (laughs) Do you think Lenya and Nathan remembered God's grace and mercy after that lesson? Oh, you bet they did. So sometimes we're so punitive to others when bad things are happening in their lives, and instead we could give them grace upon grace. Imagine that. So when Cash returned to Christ during the 1970s, he was quoted telling Larry King, being a Christian isn't for sissies. It takes a real man to live for God, or woman, and a lot more than that to live for the devil, you know. If you really want to live right these days, you got to be tough. you got to be tough and you need grace. Now, tough means you might need to remove some of the obstacles that could knock you down. Parent experts advise moms to remove certain things to help your toddlers. Sharp angles, things that topple easily, trailing electric cords, throw rugs. Well, in this text, to learn how to walk in grace, we're finding out things we should remove so that we don't have such a hard time walking. Now, I don't know about you. Have some of you fallen from grace? You're here today because you fell down. I love you. God loves you. I'm not going to judge you that you fell down. I am just going to plead that you get out that you get back in the race. Do not be down for the count. No matter how far you think you have fallen, there is grace sufficient, grace made perfect in weakness. And that's what we want from this text. As a matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God... I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain but I labored more abundantly than them all yet not I but the grace of God which was in me so grace yes it's something that is unmerited but I also cooperate with it I recognize I am but I am by the grace but I labor more abundantly because of the grace but it's the grace of God not me that brings forth the fruit. So it's this kind of truths held in tension of grace and works. So let's look at this first part in chapter uh, 5, verse 1 and 2. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Our first challenge is, do we walk in love or lust? This could be one of the downfalls for some of you. Now, it says that we are imitators. Dear children, be imitators of God. You know how children learn to draw, my grandchildren? I will copy something off the internet, a picture, and then we'll put another piece of paper on top, and they'll trace. Because by tracing what was below it, they're learning to draw. It's an imitation is the idea, to imitate God to trace your life around the patterns that he has for us. And when you first teach children to walk, you know how you hold your hands and and they'll be in front of you and you're going, come on, come on, come on. Then experts will say, then kind of let go and then move further and further away until the child will move toward you. Well, that's the idea, be uh, imitators of God. And when a child does go solo, cuddles, praise, encouragement. That's what we are to do, to walk in love. And there's two aspects of love that are kind of mentioned here, and they're interesting. First, for love is of God, 1 John 4, 7. Love is of God. Love comes from God. It translates, love comes from God. In other words, God is the source of love, the very foundation, the fountainhead of love. It is... John's way of saying love originates with God. So not some false world system, not from some warped guy that just wants to have sex with you and he says, if you love me, you will. That is not the source of love. That is not love. Love originates with God. And the second idea of this love is that God is love. That's what 1 John 4, 8 says. So the second statement is even more profound than the first. He's not just the source of it. He is love. He is the embodiment of love. You might say if you looked up love in the dictionary, God's picture would be there. God is love. It's the essence of who he is. It's not just one of his activities. It is his very core and his nature. He is the source of love because he is absolute love. Therefore, everything God does in your life is love. It springs from love. He is love. My husband, when he wrote on this, said, when John wrote this, it was a new concept to the ancient world. No pagan people declared their God as love. Their gods were frightening, capricious, uh, frivolous, Fickle, frightening. And so when John said God is love, the gospel alone reveals the Christian God is a God of love. I don't know if Muhammad is a God of love or Buddha is a God of love. God of the Bible is love. Amen. Amen. So how do we imitate and walk in love? if we're to imitate his dear children and walk in love. And I would say we follow the example that Jesus Christ gave us, who is God incarnate, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son by laying down our lives. Jesus said, I command you to love each other the same way I have loved you, and here is how you measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for others. If you want to show God's love, it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that lays down itself for others. I was just reading um, in the newspapers. I'm always scouring everything looking for illustrations, <laughs> but also just to edify myself in the Lord. And So I was reading this article in the USA Today, and I loved it. There's a church that was called um, Crossroads Church, and this woman, uh, her name was Aly- Alyssa Ogilby. Um, She had been to church on Sunday, and on Sunday at Crossroads Church, the pastor gave everybody $5. When they passed the plate, instead of putting money in, they were given $5, and they were told to do whatever they wanted to do with the $5, like, you know, just do whatever you want. I guess they could buy tacos if they wanted to. They could do whatever they wanted to do for $5. Well, on her way to and from church, there was always this newspaper man that was out there. And they said, every time you went by, he was smiling, he was dancing, you know, giving signals. And everybody just knew this funky newspaper guy. And he came on a rickety bike, and he had a passenger seat in the back that the papers were in. And he would sell them. So she is a single mother. She had a broken washing machine, a broken dishwasher, a smashed cell phone, and a stack of bills. Five bucks could have meant a lot to this single mother. She sat down and said, Lord, what can I do with the $5? And she said, you know what I should do? I should try and raise money for the paper man. Maybe I could buy him a bicycle. So she goes on those GoFundMe pages and says, I'll try and go fund me And it. I, th- I think she just called it, like, go fund the paper man. And uh, let's get him a bicycle. But other people who knew what the paper man was, and so um, she was bummed out because you have to raise at least 300 When you only have 5 bucks and a stack of bills, that's a lot of money to raise, right? And so before she knew it, they were raising and raising money, and by the end of her term, they had raised $2,000. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for a friend. How nice if we would be that way with each other. Uh, I'll do, do laundry at my house. It's okay if your dishwasher's broken, that we would just actually give of ourselves. So we are to walk in love and not lust. This text goes on to say, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. As is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. The people of his love and grace should be impacted by it and be different, changed by it, transformed by it. Now, it talks about some of these wicked ways, what we should not have involved. It talked about sexual impulses of fornication and uncleanness. It talked about material possessions to not be covetous or idolatry. I'll tell you what, it's really hard to be in California and not be covetous. Can I just tell you? New Mexico is so much more simple. We don't even have a Nordstrom's. I mean, there's just not a lot there, but you come here, and it's like the fanciest cars you've ever seen in your life, and there's not one. There's like a gazillion of them. So, I mean, I sympathize that some things are probably harder in other places than home. Then it talks about conversational content, filthiness, foolishness, and jesting, which is dirty jokes. So you can walk in love or lust. You can use your word to love people, to build up people, or you can use your words to just smear the mud. Now I have to tell you, before I got saved, I got saved when I was 20 years old. Um, I was a bartender and a discotheque. I loved drugs, I loved smoking marijuana, I had dabbled a little bit with acid and speed, and um, I was just kind of reckless and wild, and uh, I had divorced parents, so I was probably way too promiscuous, because I was looking for a man's love in my life. And I got saved, radically saved at Calvary Costa Mesa, and uh, went forward at one of the services. And um, I met Skip Heitzig. And uh, this tall, blonde, handsome surfer who is passionate for God. And he asked me on a date. And on the first date, you know, there's those awkward moments where you don't really know anything about each other. And I tell him a filthy joke. Now, I'm saved. I just haven't learned how to walk yet. (laughs) And so I tell him this joke, and his face just drops. And he looks at me, and he says, Don't ever tell me another joke again. (laughs) Um, There are just some things that shouldn't be part of a Christian's life, ladies. Swearing, coarse jesting, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, jealousy. Those things should not be in our lives. Do you know we now live in a pornography apocalypse? Pornography in post-World War II era has changed from an underground business to an extensive, organized, crime-flourishing industry that makes over $10 billion a year. You know, I have cable at my house, and two of the stations just had bad things on it. So I called in, I said, I don't want those on my TV anymore. I said, Cinemax. And they said, oh, you mean Skinemax? I was like... Yes, why would you put that in anyone's home? So I tapered it back to what I thought were more safe forms of entertainment. And the other night, it was 9 o'clock, I turned on my TV and HBO and Showtime. I'm not telling you don't watch TV, okay? So I'm not, I'm not trying to do that, you know. But I was horrified. I was like, oh my gosh, what if my grandchildren were here? So now I'm going to have to go home and say, I don't want, I'm not going to invite the enemy in my house, I mean, why would I do that? So, anyway, it's an apocalypse. Um, as pornog- pornography has become more acceptable, both legally and culturally, the level of brutality and degradation of women has intensified, yeah. tests show. As one pornographer put it, people just want it harder, harder, and harder. What are you going to do next? Today's extreme market wants to see girls do double penetration or gang-banging or gag-inducing oral sex. Now, I don't even like saying these things from the pulpit, but it's a wicked world out there. You know, and I'm a little bit of a mama and a grandma. I'm a little bit of a mama bear now. I don't want those things in your home just like I don't want him in my home. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God that's just truth, ladies. That's not me. That's God's word. That's who's not inheriting the kingdom of God. Oh, but the last phrase is pretty important. And such were some of you. Can you find yourself in that list? Because I can. I know exactly which one of those things were me. Now here's the amazing grace. God still delivers people from these things. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. I have a friend that I've been traveling with. Her name is Amore Sierra. If you go to Miami Tattoo Company, you'll find her. She was a successful businesswoman who lived in a homosexual lifestyle for multiple years. But people had witnessed to her, and it haunted her, and she repented and has given herself to Christ and now spends most of her time trying to help people out of slave and sex trafficking. And the only reason she opened up a tattoo shop was so that she could erase the tags that pimps put on their people. Her first client had the pimp's name written on the eyelids of this woman. It's wicked out there. But God saves people like this, and such were some of you. And I am just tired of a society that doesn't think God's capable of saving people out of this stuff. Because he can, and he does, and he will. And it may be your children, and you've come here ashamed because your child's on this list. And what happens, it's so dangerous. When you think your child is on this list, what you start trying to do is maybe theologically adjust. Well, only Paul mentions homosexuals, and Jesus doesn't really mention it. It's just in the Old Testament, so maybe I'll just change my theology for this child in my life. No. No. You must walk in love or lust, and a choice has to be made. It has to be made. So you can lust in the ways of your life and the words of your life. Let no one deceive you with empty, vain words. Because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Vain just means empty, fruitless, worthless, nothingness. I would kind of categorize the philosophies of the world under this category. They don't have the answer. Guess what? Berkeley does not have the answer. Jesus has the answer, amen? Amen? Amen. And so if you're looking for God in some of these places, you're looking in the wrong places, do not listen to words that deceive, that are empty and vain. The next thing we are to walk in is light or darkness. It says, you were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord, verse 8, darkness. You were once darkness. And my life was pretty dark before Christ. 1 John 1, 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I'm tired of lying Christians, carnal Christians. They say they're walking in the light, but they're in darkness. And it's just a bad witness for the body of Christ. There are some people you want to say, just don't tell anybody you're a Christian if you're going to live that way. And this text is very clear. John MacArthur says of this text, the point is that as a Christian, you can walk in darkness. This is not darkness in the material sense. It is not darkness in an unbeliever sense. This is darkness in the Christian sense sense that saints have a problem with sins just like sinners. I'm a sinner. Anybody else? Is there anyone out there who has become sinless? So you have to deal with the darkness in your life and pray for light more and more and walk in light more and more, just like me. So when the TV has something come on, you go, whoa, darkness just came in this room. And I need to get it out of here. You understand me? A Roper poll revealed that the behavior of born-again Christians before and after conversion isn't really that different. They did a chart of before conversion after conversion. Those that engaged in illicit sex, 2% before, 5% after. Those that abused drugs, 5% for, 9% after. Those who drove while intoxicated, 4% before, 12% afterwards. Darkness has come into the church. I don't know if you've noticed that. And it's high time that we awoke from our sleep because his coming is even closer than before. And we need him. It says it's shameful to even speak of those things that are done in secret. It reminds me of the fall Adam and Eve, they eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it blows it, they look at each other and they go, oh my gosh, we're naked. And so what do they do? They have to sew together some clothes, some fig leaves, whatever it is, to cover themselves up. And God comes to have fellowship with them again in the cool of the evening. He's been meeting with them face to face, and they're nowhere to be found. And he yells, Adam, where are you? Could God be calling your name? Francis, where are you? Barb, where are you? that you've hidden yourself under some rote ritual, whatever it is, and you think that you're hiding your sin. Ladies, I'm going to tell you this. Be careful of concealment. Anything you have to hide is no bueno. (laughs) You should not have to hide anything Philip Brooks wrote, keep clear of concealment. Keep clear of the need of concealment. It is an awful hour when the first necessity of hiding anything comes. The whole life is different thenceforth. When there are questions to be feared, eyes to be avoided, subjects that must not be touched, then the bloom of life is gone. Where are you? Why are you hiding? Now, I gotta tell you, I like shoes. A lot. I don't wanna count how many shoes are in my closet. Um, it's just, they always fit. It's not like jeans are a bathing suit and you just can have an attitude with your shoes, right? Shoes are just, they're awesome. And um, when Skip and I first got married, I wasn't sure how the whole finance thing worked. And, you know, I was doing the budget, and I saw these shoes. It was like the apple or the fruit. Oh, it was so good to the eye. And I bought these shoes, and I thought he'd be mad, so I hid them in the back of the closet. And the plan was one day I would pull them out, and he goes, Are those new shoes? And I go, Oh, no, I've had them for a long time. Oh, I can tell you've done the same thing. (laughs) Now, the Lord busted me and said, This is not a good way to start your marriage. If you're going to start your marriage hiding shoes in the closet, we're not off on a good foot. (laughs) And so I laid the shoes on the bed, and when he came home, I said, I bought shoes. he goes, oh, good, I'm glad, blah, 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 blah. You know, there was no judgment in it. And so, um, anyway, anything I buy now, I lay it on the bed. I'm not trying to be a cheaty cheater tin ever. So um, those who walk in darkness deceive others when you're concealing. Living a lie misrepresents the Lord. People will see you and think that Jesus is a phony because you are. When you walk in that darkness, you misrepresent the Lord. Number two, you misdirect the lost. People are looking for light and direction, and they'll look at you and think, that must be the light, and you're leading them into darkness. So you can walk in darkness or in daylight. Verse 9 and 10, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. In life there are opposing forces ladies light and darkness. It says in 1 John 1:7 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Okay so that idea of concealing things when you start hiding things it impacts your fellowship. You will avoid fellowship. You will avoid other Christians. You will avoid your Bible because it's light. And so you're hiding something. It's like, no, you know, (laughs) close that thing. You come around other Christians who are light. You're like, no, don't want that scene, right? You have this choice and we need to walk in the light. Walk means to order your behavior. It implies habitual action, not something sporadic. It's a habitual lifestyle. There's a difference between meandering around a mall and walking with forward motion to the gate at the airport. We're to walk directly. The light refers refers to spiritual truth, and it is shown in consistent behavior, what the Bible would call good works. Remember? Remember? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your good works, your love, laying down your life, that grace toward others, is light in the world. Good works equals good fruit. You have goodness, it says in this text, which is love in action. Righteousness, it's a righteous character before God. Truth means conformity to the word and will of God. You can walk in the light. Oswald Chambers says, It is not sufficient for a Christian to walk in the light of his conscience, but to walk in a sterner light, the light of the Lord. And we are to shine it wherever we go. So we can walk in love or lust, in light or darkness, and then finally in this text we can walk in wisdom or foolishly. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, um, to walk, to teach people to walk upright, sometimes uh, teachers will tell you to put a book on your head to learn how to walk upright. Um, I was watching a late night show, so I'm not condemning TV. It was Stephen Colbert, and um, Stephen Colbert was learning how to walk with a book on his head. You might want to look at that for a minute. So we might need to learn how to walk straight. And sometimes you go off the path and maybe someone else's hand helps us. And I might just say this, you don't need to put the Bible on your head, you need it in your head. (laughs) You need to walk as wise, not as fools, and the word is what makes you wise. That's what David said, by your precepts I'm wiser than my teachers. To walk circumspectly means to look around, to be aware. It carries the idea of precision and accuracy, that you walk with exactness, that you know where you're putting your next foot. Paul said in Colossians 4:5, walk in wisdom to those who are outside. Outside what? What did he mean? Outside the faith, outside the the church. We need to walk wisely in them all. Wisely at the theater. Wisely in school. Wisely. When Paul wrote this to Christians, Christianity was a minor religion. People really didn't know about it. There were no rock churches. There were no New Testaments. There were no Bibles to put on your head. There were no Bible tracts. There was no gospel recording artists. There was no TV. There was no social media. How were they to spread the gospel? by how they walked, but how they walked on the outside. It was their day-to-day living, to walk wisely. C.S. Lewis wrote, The best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, certainty, completeness, but the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are self-righteous and smug and complacent, when they are narrow and repressive... Christianity dies a thousand deaths. So we don't want legalists at all, but we want people who walk wisely. And it says we walk wisely and timely, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time, ladies. Charlie Brown, one of my favorite cartoon characters, comments to Lucy in the Peanuts uh, cartoon, someone has said that we should live each day as if it was the last day. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. As if it was the last day of your life, to which Lucy cries, the last day, the last day, this is it! And she screams off into oblivion and yelling, help me, help me! I only have 24 hours to live! And Charlie says, some philosophies aren't made for everyone. (laughs) But we should live as though every day is our last. I'm a cancer survivor. Any other cancer survivors out there? Then you know you live your life differently before and after cancer. The average lifespan is 30,000 days. 40,000 if you're lucky. At the turn of The 20th century, the life expectancy in the United States was 45 years. In the 21st century, 78 years. Life expectancy calculator, for me, I could put my name in, if I wore a seat belt, do I jog, do I eat right? It said I might make it to 91. Really, I don't want to live that long. Can I just be honest? I think only the good die young. (laughs) <laughs> i'm like i'm okay with that this sounds really crazy romans 13 11 says now is the high time to awake out of your sleep now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed the night is far spent the day at his hand therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light ladies this is the end of the end Amen. do you feel it we are so close to the end that we must love, not lust. We must be light, not darkness. We must be wise and not fools. We want to be like the wise virgins. They were given the lamps and filled them with oil and the others did not have it. And when Jesus, the bridegroom came, they could not enter. We must be about our father's business. Johnny Cash After he came back from drug use, female abuse, he was asked to define Christianity. He said, I am a believer of that Jesus of Nazareth, a Jew, the Christ of the Greeks, was the anointed one of God, born of the seed of David. Upon the faith of Abraham has faith, and it was counted to him for righteousness. I am grafted into the true vine and one of the heirs of God's covenant with Israel." He really did walk the line. He really came back to walk the line. I want to end with this thought. Paul told the Colossians, As you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Jesus Christ the Lord? Faith by grace? It is by faith you are saved by grace. The same way you are saved, faith, grace, you just believed, is the same way you walk. The simplicity of faith and grace to just walk as Jesus has asked you to walk. Well, I send, handed you out something. It was these little blue yarns. And I put a scripture in here. And the scripture, it just kind of talks about in the Old Testament that Moses said that you should take a blue tassel. And you should tie it on your garments. The blue thread is a tassel on the corners. And if you shall have the tassel, that you may look upon it and remember the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart or your eyes are inclined. And that you remember to do his commandments. I think what I'm asking you today is will you walk the line? I've given you a blue line. Tie it around your wrist, around your garment, your buttonhole, whatever it is. When it falls off, it falls off. This isn't legalistic. But I'd like you to leave here remembering that by grace, you will walk the line. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your grace is amazing. But it's not something to be taken lightly. We don't have that greasy grace, Lord, that is a excuse for sin, but we have a grace like Paul that he says, I am what I am, and I've labored and I've strived, and God gets all the credit because it's by his grace that I've done what I've done, and so I pray that you'd pour grace upon grace in the lives of these women, and they're learning to walk, and some of them have stumbled, some harder, some further than others, Lord. Lord and i pray today that they would get back up and that we would show them grace we would hold their hands and help them to be upright again lord not judging i mentioned pornography and while your eyes are closed if there's anyone that pornography is impacting your home could be you might be a spouse or a child but if that's an area that's gonna trip up your home. Can you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Bless you, God bless you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. (laughs) Probably more homes than these hands have raised. God, would you shine the light in these homes? Shine the light on the TVs, the channels, the internet, every place, magazines, wherever it could come in, Lord. Would your light expose the darkness and remove it, Lord? that these homes would be in the light as you are in the light. And you'd restore fellowship between wife and husband and children, Lord. That there would be, therefore, no condemnation but restoration, Lord. I pray that you'd make these women bold, Lord, if they need to confront and say, no more, this is it. This is the day this goes out. In Jesus' name. I think maybe some of you here have stumbled in drinking. You live in the wine country. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe it just started out you were gonna be a connoisseur but we are not to be drunk with wine. If there's anyone here that is stumbling with alcohol, my last conference we had women who left the conference and went home and poured alcohol down the drain. So I'm not going to judge you, but you are not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If that's you, would you please raise your hand? I would love to pray for you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just give me a minute. God bless you. Anyone else? You know. You know when you're tipsy. You know that it's more than a glass of red wine for its antioxidants at dinner. (laughs) Is there anyone else here that you're having a problem with drunkenness? Make this right with God. Take it out of concealment. If you're hiding it, how much you've had, where you have it, then you probably have a problem. Anyone else? This is your chance. Reach out to the hem of God bless you of his garment. Be set free. Lord, I pray that you would free these women, Lord, that instead they would be filled with the Spirit, God filled with all the fullness of God, that there's not room for anything else, nor the craving, nor the hunger, or the desire for anything else, Lord. But they may walk in intimacy with you. Is there anyone here who's not saved? You just haven't experienced the love. You haven't experienced the light. You haven't experienced the wisdom. Of God, if you came this weekend, someone dragged you or you've just kind of been hanging out for a while and you know, I, I had a retreat recently where someone said, you know, I came up and I thought I was a Christian. I was a part of domination, but I left changed and I got in the car and I said to my friends, I'm different and they said, you're born again so if there's anyone here who came and is not saved and you would like to experience the love, the light, and the wisdom of God, these desirable things, would you raise your hand? It would be my pleasure to pray with you. You know in your heart, God is not mocked. You can't fool him with a form of religion a form of Christianity that is not real, that is not repentant, that is not wholehearted. If you do not know the Lord, if you'd raise your hand, I'd love to pray with you and introduce you to the love, to the light. I'm going to give this a minute. I'm willing to wait. All the angels in heaven and earth rejoice when one person turns. And you know this would be worth every penny, every minute, every mile for these ladies if there's someone here that wants to reach out a hand to Jesus. He is mighty to save and to save from the utmost. I see tears. I have a feeling they're tears for people that are with them. I'm going to ask you again, if you don't know Jesus, if you'd raise your hand. (coughs) Well, this is going to become really important because I know my next teaching, we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so you'll know how to walk and have the purpose and the energy and the power to walk, and you can't have that unless you're saved. So God's got gifts for you, but if you withdraw your hand now, it's hard for him to give you any more gifts. Lord, thank you for these ladies. I just pray that if there's anyone here and they're shy, Lord, that they would just confess to the person they came with, to one of the pastor's wives, to one of the counselors, Lord, and that they would get their hearts right before the next two sessions. We thank you so much for this morning, for uh, your grace, and for the food we're about to eat, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.